Welcome to Strong Not Starving, my name's Marcus Kane, and if you want to beat binge eating and feel like you're calling the shots with your food choices, you're in the right place. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice, and I've been advised to inform you that the personal anecdotes in this episode are for entertainment purposes only, and that myself, Marcus Kane, and Strong Not Starving does not advise or endorse the use of illegal substances or the intentional misuse of prescription medication. Do you feel me? Let's talk about addiction. The topic of food addiction comes up a lot in the same breath as dieting and binge eating and my opinions on these things have evolved over the years. In this episode, I'm going to share with you some very personal stories and what I believe to be the most helpful way to look at addiction in terms of food, as well as two personal philosophies that are still at the core of how I try to live every day. And if you start to feel at any stage like what I'm saying is drifting off topic, bear with me, (laughs) like stick with me until the end of the episode, because I promise it's going to make a whole lot of sense. So if you know me or are familiar at all with my work, You might also know that I had a career in the music industry. Now, in the circle of people that I was in from age 20 through 27, cocaine was a rite of passage. In some ways, like more so than alcohol, I was part of a group of people who didn't see getting sloppy drunk as like a positive thing. In 2011, I was in a hard rock band. We were touring with Slash from Guns N' Roses. And I was living in my truck, parked outside my friend's house in Melbourne, Australia. And before you jump to any conclusions about what a total fuck-up I must have been, I wasn't living in my truck because I wasn't willing to work. I had work wherever I could get it, with employers who were willing to take me on despite my touring commitments. And this was either in gyms or in cafes and bars. I was living in my truck because in late 2010, a long-term relationship with someone who I was actually engaged to fell apart and I was still paying rent at the apartment that my then ex was living at. I was hiding from that situation. I didn't want to face it. I'd gone through the, the stress and the pain of the breakup and then when it came to adding any extra stress like the apartment and negotiating what was going on there. I just didn't have it in me. Like I I was done. I was focused on work. I just kept paying rent so that I didn't have to deal with it and went and lived in my truck outside my friend's house. And that lasted a while. So this situation in 2011, like that was the start of a long period of drug and alcohol abuse for me. There is so much that I could say about like the following five to 10 years. But the most important thing to understand in the context of this conversation is my belief system at that point and how dysfunctional it was. Like I was deeply depressed and had issues with anxiety, but I kept myself so busy and so medicated that I didn't have to face it. Like I actually believed that happiness and peace was always like just around the corner. So I kept working. I believed that when I looked good enough, when I became successful enough, I'd be happy. So work, ambition, dieting, and training, these all became 
what we could call my addictive defenses, the facade that held my focus and kept me from needing to face the pain that I was walking around with on a day-to-day basis. Now, the term addictive defense is something that I feel is very useful, and it's something that I heard first used by therapist uh, Terence Real. In his book, I Don't Want to Talk About It, Real wrote, the addictive defense in covert depression must be quietened in order to gain access to the heart. Now, this means, essentially, as long as we're focused on coping mechanisms we're leaning on to manage the pain and discomfort of life, we'll never clearly see what's truly behind the curtain pulling the strings. Like, my clients will tell you that I like to use the example of The Wizard of Oz to talk about this. And when I was stuck in my own addictive defenses, the only thing that mattered to me was doing my job and looking the part while I was doing it. Happiness wasn't something that I experienced. Like what I thought was happiness at that point was more like passing moments of ego-driven satisfaction. And what I thought was peace was actually more like a kind of numbness that would come with binge eating by myself in front of a movie or training and exercising so hard and for so long that I reached this kind of state of numb euphoria or the combination of alcohol and prescription meds that had me blacking out at a regular basis at that point. At that point in my life, binge eating was something that was happening on the weekend because of my (laughs) induction into the fitness industry and that whole cheat day mentality. So, I was binge eating on the weekends a lot because, you know, hashtag cheat days. But then somehow my logic at that point in time made me believe that if I was to take prescription drugs in excess in combination with alcohol in the evening during the week, that was somehow okay. And when it came to the time that I was spending kind of like partying on the weekends and any kind of social time, I was having at that point, I remember thinking, as long as I can buy drugs, I can buy happiness in powdered form. Like, I'd made peace with just surviving and doing whatever I could to fend off like these deep depressive episodes and anxiety that would happen in between tours with the band. Everything that I did was moving towards something that I thought would bring me happiness and satisfaction and just doing everything I could to numb my experience of life in between those moments, in between those experiences. I was never what you might call a drug addict. Like when people used to meet me without knowing me, like obviously that would happen a lot, like with the band, they'd often describe me as a high achiever, like a a high-functioning, fast-moving, high achiever who was doing a lot. Uh, The band that I was working with at that kind of time, we were making waves, like we were doing some really big stuff. We were coming up in the Melbourne scene and doing some international shows and we started to become uh, conspicuously successful in that whole scene. And people would just think I was this mad high achiever because they never saw me sloppy drunk. They would see the band doing good stuff. I was always, quote, in really good shape. So naturally, I looked the part, so people made assumptions. 
But one like defining moment really reframed how I began to see drugs and alcohol. And this made its way into the way that I started to deal with the eating disorders that I was struggling with at the time. But I, I learned the lesson first with, dr with drugs, actually, which is like, I don't recommend. <laughs> I don't recommend that as a path, but this is just the way that my life panned out and the way that I learned this lesson. Um, this defining moment, like I was at a house party. I had a gram of cocaine in my pocket and I thought that I was having a really good night. Like, you know, as you do in that kind of situation. Then at around 3 a.m., I started to sober up like alarmingly quickly. I came back to reality from what I thought was an amazing night. In the space of about 20 minutes, I went from high to sober and I realized several things all at once. I realized that my friends had gone home hours ago and I was surrounded by people I didn't know or care about or enjoy hanging out with like at all. Everyone I knew and liked had gone home a long time ago. I realized I wasn't really having fun. The party was no longer amazing. I was just sitting in someone's living room at 3 a.m. And I realized that I was about to face an entire day, maybe two, of feeling like absolute shit. I'd exchanged like days for a few short hours of relief or enjoyment. And I realized that any good emotions I'd been experiencing were entirely artificial. Now, when people calling themselves experts compare things like sugar to cocaine and try to say it lights up the same areas of the brain and therefore it's the same and therefore food is chemically addictive, I believe this is a leap in the wrong direction. However, that doesn't mean I don't believe it's possible, even common, for food and even dieting to become addictive in the same way that anything can become addictive if we're leaning on it to provide relief from our reality. If we've developed a dysfunctional dynamic with food, dieting, exercise that we lean on to make life feel manageable, breaking out of that cycle or even just challenging it can feel intensely painful overwhelming and even terrifying because all of a sudden we're living without our armor on. We're living raw with no defensive mechanism, nothing to distract us, nothing to numb the experience of the challenge that we live with. Now, alcohol was something I wore as armor to varying degrees um, for a lot of years. Like, it's probably one of the most recent ones that I lifted the curtain on and, and really started to step away from. Like in 2019, like my wife, Marta and I had been together for about a year and had started living together in like a small ground floor apartment. Marta was working a corporate job that had become super toxic and misaligned with her values. And I was working insane hours at a gym. We also had the worst upstairs neighbor in history and tension in our household was just super fucking high. Like we were both strung out. We were both chronically tired 
and we felt overwhelmed. We didn't feel like we could deal with everything that was going on. We, we couldn't see a way out. Marta couldn't see a way out of her job. She couldn't see an exit strategy. I couldn't see an exit strategy from the, the work and the lifestyle that I was doing. We had no idea how to find a better living arrangement and where to even start with that, given the resources that we had to work with. We, we felt fucked. And I got into the habit of keeping a bottle of vodka in the freezer and having between two and four double shots back to back in the evening while I was cooking dinner. And this is after living like the entirety of my 20s, flirting with alcoholism pretty much the entire time and never really tipping the balance over the edge completely. But it wasn't a chemical addiction. Having a day off at that point and not drinking for a couple of days would actually make me feel physically better. But facing the clusterfuck that was our lives without numbing myself with alcohol felt intensely painful. And it was rough, to say the least, to try and break that cycle. The, the idea that, okay, how am I going to face this? If, if I want to break this, if I want to stop doing this because I know I have to, how am I going to face this first week completely sober with nothing to, to help dampen this experience and numb this experience. It was a very similar feeling to when I was trying to break cycles of binge eating, like how am I going to face the weekend without my time alone eating all these foods in, in front of a movie or something? How am I going to live? How am I going to cope without the ability to just flick the off switch and just pull the curtains, like draw the curtains on the world and not have to feel anything for a while. And that is such a fucking rough place to be. If you know what that place is like, or even if you're still in that place, it's so fucking hard. And nothing changed in my situation until I became willing to do literally whatever was necessary to make sure that that was not how the rest of our lives were going to look. It became much more than thinking, you know, one day I'll change this situation. It felt so bad and I, got, I was so angry at the situation that I started to consider the day completely wasted unless I'd made at least one measurable step towards a better life. That's what helped me keep my sanity at that point. Even though nothing in the immediate environment changed immediately. What allowed me to just hold on and keep going was going to bed every night, knowing that I did something today that took us one step closer to not being in this situation anymore. And that, that, that was really the, the thread that held my sanity together at that point. And I don't know if I've done an incredible job at describing this right now, but after 15 years of struggling with eating disorders and about a decade flirting with drug addiction and alcoholism, I understand the experience of what some people are calling food addiction and exercise addiction, but I do not buy into the narrative that food is chemically addictive in the same way that drugs and alcohol are. I do think food addiction needs to be taken seriously, whether or not food addiction is the best name for it, I don't know, but I think it does need to be taken seriously. 
and I think it's doing the cause of public health a massive disservice to make claims that something like sugar is an addictive substance. Do you see the difference there? The difference between something being addictive to the point where we're leaning on it and something being chemically addictive to the point where it changes out the chemistry in our body in a way that something like a class A drug does. So I do think what we could call food addiction exists as what we could call an addictive defense, something we engage with to manage the way we experience the world and our emotions. I completely understand the crossover here and the the reason why the word addiction is used, but I think the nuance in conversations around food addiction is being neglected and things are just being painted with a really broad brush to the point where it does the cause and the problem a massive disservice. So from my own experiences with eating disorders, drugs and alcohol, two core philosophies that I work to practice every single day have appeared and I invite you to take them with you. They're not easy, but they are life-changing. You may have heard versions of these before, I don't know, but this is the way that these two things resonate with me. The first one being, I flat out refuse to do anything that's going to make the present moment easier at the expense of the future. Essentially, I absolutely refuse to willingly do anything that's going to make a hard situation harder in the name of providing a brief moment of relief in the present. This can feel extremely hard to do in moments of distress when we, we, we feel like we'd be willing to do almost anything for a moment of relief from what we're feeling or experiencing. This is why I coach a very specific method to practicing this. And number two, I do my absolute best to stay brutally honest with myself about what kind of relief or positive emotions I'm experiencing. I often check in with myself. Is it a moment of like genuine relief or positive emotion that I'm experiencing? Or is it just dissociating and disconnecting? Is what I'm doing genuinely like making me feel better? Or is it masking as positive in the moment because it's taking a pain that I would be experiencing or taking a discomfort that I would be experiencing and just pushing it down the road. Remembering that pain that we dissociate from and suppress and just push down the road, we're always going to pay interest on that pain. Now, a trap that people fall into with food and this whole thing is the perfect diet paradox. We can sometimes convince ourselves that maintaining a perfect diet and denying ourselves in the moment in the name of feeling proud or satisfied with our efforts later is always a positive thing. But dietary restriction can also be an addictive defense, pulling all of our focus and energy to the idea that if we get our diet right and even achieve or maintain a certain physical appearance, we'll be valued or safe, like we'll get there, like our position will be assured, whatever that might mean for us. But 
what this trap really is, is giving us an illusion of control, while the things at the core of our pain go unchallenged and unhealed. Sometimes the things that we actually need to face can feel so intangible or even so big that it feels like we wouldn't know where to begin when it comes to challenging them or moving through them or healing them. These things usually feel so deeply ingrained in us that we can often just call them personality traits, like telling ourselves every day, like, this is just who I am. And it creates this layered level of complexity because then we feel that what we could call healing threatens our identity. Like, who am I without this? So we hold on to these addictive defenses, whatever we're using to numb the pain of existence or offer the promise of something better, being perpetually just like around the corner and out of reach. And this whole thing being tied up in who we are, like, this is just how I am, or this is what I value, or this is just me. And to clarify, though, because I know there are a lot of people out there giving really shitty messages as far as food, having a healthy, balanced diet is great. Finding equilibrium between unnecessary restriction and impulsive, mindless eating is a really good thing, obviously. And that will often involve mindful choices that can sometimes appear restrictive from the outside looking in. A really good example of this for myself is like, would I enjoy the taste of starting every single day with a fresh donut and a nice black coffee? Like, absolutely, like that would be delicious. But would it set me up to feel good during the day? No. At the same time, though, Will I deny fun foods all the time? Absolutely not. Like, a certain amount of what we could call fun food will have no negative physical health outcomes. So the whole food addiction thing, I believe that it's possible to fall into these destructive cycles involving restriction and binge eating as what we could call addictive defenses in the same way that workaholics or video game addicts use their chosen vice to dissociate and disconnect from the true source of their discomfort or pain. Over the years, I've done this myself with many things, like work, drugs, exercise, video games, dating, alcohol, food, dieting, none of which are inherently bad or evil. All of these things can be fun or used for good, or they can be used as an addictive coping mechanism depending on how we engage with them. This is why cultivating deep, deep self-awareness is the key to unlocking all this. This is why I'm constantly saying, like, don't kid yourself. Be honest with yourself. It takes a shit ton of courage. But there's an art to this process that makes it manageable rather than overwhelming, and that's what I coach. So something you can put into practice right away if you want to create incredible change in your life from literally right now, start with being willing to create space in your life, knowing that some of that space will be occupied by a kind of discomfort you might have been pushing away for a really long time. If we pinball from one thing to another, it's easy to live in our habits, kind of tuned out, existing on autopilot. It sounds cheesy, I know, but we get to choose the kind of discomfort that we experience. 
we get to choose between the kind of discomfort that perpetuates our suffering while promising temporary relief, or we get to choose the kind of discomfort that might feel a bit more frightening on the front end, but actually leads somewhere amazing. And if you want guidance through this process, if you want to take what might feel impossible and make it manageable, reach out to me via the link in the episode description. I understand what it's like to be doing something you hate while at the same time not knowing how to live without it. And I can help you find your path out of that place. My name is Marcus Kane. This was Strong Not Starving, and I'll be back next week.